Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored, The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Would you turn with me tonight to 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians, that's an easy thing to do. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, by now the Bible ought to be loosened up enough in that book that you know right where to go. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to begin with verse 6 tonight. We're going to talk about the purifying effect of church discipline. Last time we were together, we talked about the painful act of church discipline. It is painful. It's not a joyful thing, but praise God, it can, re, it can produce some joyful results. But tonight we want to talk about the purifying effect of church discipline. A man is committing incest openly. It is well known in Corinth and he's in the church. But the problem of, of immorality of this man, yes, that's a problem, but that's not the only problem. The indifference of the people within the congregation not to deal with this man is as much a problem. Flesh is flesh no matter how it manifests itself. And we must understand this. It may not be as evident in someone's life as it is in somebody else's life. And so flesh must always be dealt with. And the Corinthian church was living a fleshly lifestyle, intentionally immature. They wouldn't grow up. So for that reason, their indifference and insensitivity to sin was just as bad as the man who was immoral in their midst. Well, when we allow that to happen, when no church discipline takes place, when a person doesn't go or a second person doesn't go with him, and as we saw in Matthew 18, and, and we don't see anything happen and that sin is allowed to remain, then by default, we send a message that sin is okay. On my computer, I have a little printer that hooks to it. And it says a default printer. In other words, when it goes to print, it goes by that printer unless you tell it something else. The message is already sent to that printer. And it's the same way in a church. If you allow sin to remain, whether in your own life or in other people's lives, and we don't deal with it, we send the message and communicate that sin is okay. And sin is not okay. It damages our testimony outside the church walls. It destroys the purity of believers within the church Walls. Well, since they won't do anything about it, the Apostle Paul said, I will. And he makes the decision, makes the judgment, skips the first three steps of church discipline you find in Matthew 18, which shows you how serious this problem must have been. He moves it right to step four of removing the man from the midst. He says, do it in an open assembly. I've already pronounced his verdict, but you must come together as a congregation and you must pronounce sentence. It must be done in an open assembly. That's so important because it reestablishes a holy standard in the midst of God's people. Well, he says, do it in the name and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not something malicious. 
This is not somebody with a vendetta who wants to get somebody kicked out of the church. This is somebody who senses the heart of God and he's doing what he believes God's telling him and he's doing it in the power and the love and the compassion that only God's spirit could produce within his life. Well, Paul says to turn the man over to Satan. In other words, he, he's saying he's already sent a signal that he wants to serve Satan. For no man can serve two masters. He'll love one, hate the other. There are only two. There are only two. And when we serve our flesh, we serve Satan. That's the mark he left on flesh back in Genesis chapter 3. And so since he wants to serve Satan, then Paul says, let him serve him. Let him have what he says he wants. But remove him from your midst. You don't allow him to stay as a member of your body because if you do, you're, again, you're sending that signal. And Paul says this will result in the destruction of his flesh. Now we know if he's a believer, uh, the perseverance of the saints in the sense that he will endure all the way to the end as far as God causing that to happen. But at the same time, we do know that sin can be deadly. First John talks about the sin unto death and he's talking to believers. And so we must remember, God will take us out of here if we choose not to repent. And there is torment. And you see, what happens is, when we choose to serve our flesh, we forget what we've been saved from. We forget the dead-end street that's there. And what happens is, we go back to it, not realizing that, and there's torment to sin. There's mental torment, there's emotional torment, there's all kinds of torment to sin. And prayerfully, this will bring this man to repentance, and we believe he did come to repentance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And the basic bottom line of the first five verses of, of chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians is, when sin is there, it's habitual, a man will not repent of it, then church discipline is mandatory. It's not man's idea, it's God's idea. Well, in verse 6, the Apostle Paul begins by saying, your boasting is not good. Now, the word for boasting there is the little word that means actually the boast itself, not just the, the act of you know, the boasting, but it's the actual boast, whatever it is you're boasting in. The little ma at the end of this word means it's the actual boast itself. What is it you're boasting in? And we've seen this word earlier four times since chapter five, and every time you see it, it's attached to the flesh. He said it's not good, and it's saying the same thing. Not good, kalos, it means it's not, it's not inherently good which means if it's not inherently good, it doesn't come from God, it must come from the flesh. It's fleshly boasting. Now, this fleshly boasting in verse six, what is it? And that's the question that has to come to our mind. There's all kinds of ways of arrogance. He's already said that they were arrogant, the word fusio, which means spiritual airbags. <laughs> and he says, now your boasting in this matter is not good. Now, what were they doing? What were they saying? Boasting is something you say. What, what were they saying? I don't know, and he doesn't tell us, but perhaps it goes this way. Folks, let me tell you something. Spiritual pride is a subtle thing. It's a subtle thing. And when there's sin in the midst of a people and or in your own life, you're, you're deceived at that point. There's deception to sin. And you can think yourself spiritual without even realizing it. And evidently, these people were tolerating this man's sin, possibly, we don't know, saying, well, we don't want to kick him out because we really do love him. And maybe that was their boast. Or maybe their boast was, this is in his private life and we're here at a church and we don't mingle with people's private lives. What a man does in his bedroom is between him and God. We don't want to mingle with something like that. Maybe that was their boast. But whatever their boasting was, it was fleshly boasting and it was not inherently good. It was something that, that was wrong. And the Apostle Paul 
tells them about this. You know, we, we need to be tolerant of one another. I'm grateful. Some people say, how have you been in this church 16 years? Well, two reasons. One, you've been very tolerant. Second one, you can't hit a moving target. So I've got a few reasons for being here for a while. Toleration is, is very important. It's, it's very akin to long suffering. Aren't you glad God's long suffering with us? And that's a virtue. But toleration has its limits. And when it allows this kind of sin to go on, that's when it stops. And that's when you move from toleration to acting upon it and removing this person from the midst. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. So whatever boasting they were doing, whatever boast they were making, fleshly boast, obviously was not good. And Paul said, it comes a point you're going to have to deal with known sin like this man. Okay, tonight let's look at the purifying effect of church discipline. There are three things that I want us to look at in three verses here. Verse 6, 7, and verse 8. First of all, let's look at their inability to perceive sin. Now again, when you live after the flesh like the Corinthian church did, intentionally immature, babies sucking on their pacifiers that wouldn't grow up in Christ, attaching themselves to men, attaching themselves to the flesh, then what happens is you lose your ability to perceive when sin is around you. Verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. The word for know there is the word etho. Etho is the word that comes from horao. And I think, thank you, Elaine. We get the word horizon from the word horao. When you can look at a horizon and see all the way from the east to the west, you can see all of it, the horizon. And horao means the ability to be able to perceive, see the whole picture with understanding. And the apostle Paul says, are you not able to perceive what's going on here? Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He uses the perfect tense. Perfect tense means this is the state that you're in resulting from the choices that you've made. If I make a choice back here, it's going to have an effect over here. And if they've made the choice not to grow up in Jesus, to attach themselves to whatever is of the flesh, then obviously they're in a state as a result of that. And the state that they're in is they can't perceive the seriousness of the problem that they're having. He says, do you not know the word not there is the word uk, and it's the word mean. Do you not in any way, shape, or form know? I mean, isn't there a clue? Haven't you got a clue to what's going on around you? And then he says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? The word little leaven is the word micro. A little bit, a little tiny bit. You've heard, we get, we'd say micro, micromanage something. A little tiny bit of leaven. He says, are you in such a state that you cannot perceive that even a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. The word for leaven is the word for yeast. Now, any woman that cooks knows what yeast does to some dough. You put the yeast into it, it's going to cause something to happen. And Paul gives a simple illustration in the next several verses to show you why sin must be removed from God's people individually in your life by confession, repentance. But if it's habitual and a man will not repent, remove him from the body. And there's a reason for that because it's like leaven and the effect that leaven has on dough is the same effect that sin has on the body of Christ. The word for lump there, lump of dough, <laughs> It's the, it's the word that means to be netted together, dough that is netted together. Now, it's a beautiful picture there of the church, how we all are netted together in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're, we're like one lump of dough. <laughs> Dinah says, I look like a lump. But anyway, a lump of dough netted together. And it's like 
You see, when that leaven gets into that lump of dough, it's exactly like cancer because it doesn't just attack one place. It begins to move and attack every place that's inside that dough. And very silently and sometimes un, totally unrecognized by the people, the damage it can do within the body individually or corporately. The word leaven's an interesting word. It's the Greek word, zumi. It derives its meaning from one of two words. One that means to make warm, to heat. The other means to ferment. The English word that we get comes from the Latin word, which means to raise. And all three of those things are involved. <laughs> it's funny, with leaven. And you, you heat it up, you put that leaven into it, and boy, something begins to happen inside that dough. Leaven is the substance which produces fermentation. Now, you probably never will go back and eat another biscuit as long as you live when you, when you understand what happened. It produces fermentation. Sounds kind of yucky, doesn't it? It only takes a matter of hours before the whole mass of dough is affected when leaven is put within it and it begins to rise. You ever, you ever had your mom baking a cake and she puts that leaven in it? I remember I knew that it did that years and years ago without understanding all these details. <laughs> I was running through the kitchen and slammed the door and I saw my mother's face just drop because as her face dropped, the cake in the oven also dropped because it was in the process of rising up. That's what, that's what yeast causes something to do. Now in a spiritual way, this fermentation is a picture. It, it, beginning in the Old Testament, it, it showed the corruption in the mass of bread and therefore likened to sin and its deadly effect. You remember the feast of the unleavened bread? Look over in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 17. Remember that the feast of unleavened bread came right before the Passover feast. In fact, sometimes the Passover doesn't even mention the feast of unleavened. They go hand in hand. They are hand in hand always. You can't have one without the other. And let's go back to Exodus chapter 12. And you begin to see what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church helping them to understand why it's necessary to remove a habitual sinner from the congregation. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 17, he says in verse 17, you shall also observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. And then look over in chapter 13 of Exodus in verse seven, because it says it again and even clarifies it even more as to how long it's supposed to go on. The feast of unleavened bread. In Jewish homes, even today, during that time, they'll get all the leaven out of the house. There can be no leaven there whatsoever because of this. Verse seven, unleavened bread shall be eaten throughout the seven days and nothing leavened shall be seen among you, nor shall any leaven be seen among you in all of your borders. Now, there's little doubt that these texts point back to the time that they were in captivity in Egypt. And of course, to the Passover as they were delivered from Egypt and then through the Red Sea over into the, the wilderness. And remember how they were held captive by the Egyptians? That's a picture of how sin used to hold us captive. And this is why leaven and sin are equated with one another. The leaven again would represent the putrefying and, and captivating effects of sin. And if anyone needed to be reminded of this year by year by year, it was the nation of Israel. And by the way, the nation of Israel is a picture of our vine of flesh in the Old Testament. And no wonder we need to be reminded of it because our flesh is just as wicked as theirs was back in those days. Passover was the feast next celebrated and it was to remember how they were delivered from this captivity. Man, think back. It was because of the cleansing, delivering power of the blood of the lamb that they, they were able to leave 
Egypt. Do you remember the story? Do you remember the text in the Old Testament of when Israel was freed from their captivity in Egypt? They were all to take a lamb. Now, you've got to remember now, there's over a million people, and you figure four to a family, that's about a quarter of a million lambs. They were to cut its throat, catch the blood. Now, some people think that's awfully gory. Well, yes, it, it is. But remember the price that Jesus paid for us on the cross. And to show you how terrible and how tragic sin is and how life, uh, life, God's life had to be given for you and I as a result of sin. We don't think of sin as being that serious. But Paul's trying to bring them back and say, yes, it is that serious. They would take the blood of the lamb and put it over the door on each side and then down at the bottom. And it looked like a cross. As a matter of fact, if you could see it, it almost looks like it puts it in the form of a cross. Well, then they were to take the lamb, the meat of the lamb, and they were to, to roast it. <laughs> 250,000 lambs being roasted at one time. Can you imagine if you were a, an Egyptian guard <laughs> and you were on that shift that night and you begin to walk around and you say, there's something strange going on in the slave camp. In the Hebrew slave camp, something is different as, as the smell of 250,000 lambs began to catch your nostrils. And I guarantee you, I bet they looked at one another and said, uh-oh, something is up. You better believe something was up. They had to eat all of the lamb. If you had a small family, then you would share yours with somebody else. But all of the lamb was to be partaken. The blood had to be put on the door, but the lamb had to be partaken of. It had to be eaten. Remember Jesus saying, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. You have to receive the lamb. Well, the death angel came that night and the plague, you remember, that caused Pharaoh finally to turn Israel loose. But that death angel came and the eeriness of it, even in reading it in scripture is incredible. And as he came down to the streets of all these people, he looked for the houses that had the blood on it and the blood protected them. And the lamb had fulfilled them. And as they left as one people, having been spared by the blood and by the lamb, that's how they left Israel. But you see, before you have the Passover, you've got to have the unleavened bread because that's a picture of the captivity that we were in under sin. But Jesus came and the blood was shed. And therefore, that's why they had to rid themselves of leaven. Leaven was a picture of that which was putrefying to God and that which contaminates our life. It causes things to rise up in us that should never rise up in us. And the flesh is still there. That's why it's so imperative to understand what Paul is saying. What a picture of being set free from the leaven of sin. We have been cleansed from sin. We have been delivered from its captivity, but not by a little lamb that runs around on four legs. We've been cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to go on to say that Christ is our Passover. Isn't that precious? He's the one who sets us free from the captivity of sin. We've been netted together as the body of Christ into one. And leaven, leaven has no place in the body of Christ because we've been cleansed from it. That's why you rid yourself of anything that stirs and causes the flesh to rise up. When sin, no matter how small, is allowed to stay in the body of believers, Paul is saying it will eventually affect the whole lot. He's saying, don't you understand? Don't you have a perception of how serious this problem is? You must deal with sin. One of its effects is to blind us, of course, to its cancerous result. Well, as I was studying this, I thought about Titus chapter 3 and verse 3. Let me just remind you of that. You might want to turn over there, but let me just remind you of that. Because you don't, 
I think sometimes we forget that sin has two different forms to it. Please understand what I'm saying. There's a rebellious form of, of, of Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32. It's just outright. I mean, you can spot it 100 yards off. That's the kind we always point our finger at. But in chapter 2 of Romans, through chapter 3 and verse 20, there's religious sin. Now, folks, flesh will, will pull its act on you one of the other ways. If you're not going to go out here and be that rebellious, like the goody two-shoes brother of the prodigal son, then it'll have its own way of manifesting itself in your life, you see. And so we've got to be so careful to realize once we tolerate it in our individual lives, I'm not talking about the body yet. I'm talking about in our individual lives, there is a blindness to sin. And like leaven, it begins to take hold in our life and affect all of our life if it's not dealt with, if it's not confessed, if it's not repented of. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3, he says, For we also, Paul writing to Titus, once were foolish ourselves. He points back to when they didn't know Christ. The word foolish there really means without understanding. But the things that go along with it show that there was a lifestyle here that now has been totally changed. He said, we were foolish ourselves, disobedient. But look what goes along with being foolish and disobedient. We were deceived. We were deceived. He says, we were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. You see, sin will deceive and sin will enslave and sin will affect every relationship around you. That's why it must be dealt with individually on a daily basis. And when somebody refuses to do it in the body of Christ, the proper steps are taken to address that sin in that person's life, to encourage him to repent. And that person won't repent, then remove him from the midst. Because he's like, a, he's like leaven. And that will, by default, send a message to others that if he can do it, then I can do it. And that's not true in the body of Christ. Well, we see then the, the fact that they couldn't perceive the sin that was around them. But secondly, their command to purge the sin. Paul commands them to get that sinner out. Look at, thank God for the apostle Paul, by the way, because he did see the seriousness of the situation and thank God he stood up and thank God he did what he did. He now takes the illustration even further. He says in verse seven, Clean out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Now, giving you the background a while ago, this should fit very well. The verb here is aorist active imperative. It's a command. Paul says it's a command. Clean out the old leaven. The term clean out means to purge it out. Uh, it's a word that means to purge out, meaning to cleanse thoroughly. And in this context means by removing completely. Get him out of your midst. Remove him from your roles. Back away because this man is causing a wrong message to be sent. Clean out what? He says, clean out the old leaven. Now, what's he talking about? The old leaven. Well, the word old means that which has been long standing. And I think probably what he's talking about here is the sin of this man has been long standing. He's been there for quite a while. You clean out the old leaven. And in our own lives, any sin that, that in, in the past has, has captivated us, we need to go and clean that out because it's not to rule over us anymore. The Christ lives in our life. So well known by all, this man, it's been reported by everybody. I read, I was trying to check on this, make sure that that was right. And one commentator said, he said, you know, it means it was probably in the newspapers if we'd have had newspapers back then. Everybody knew about this man's sin. Long standing. Get it out of your midst. In verse 7 he says, clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. 
Now the word that you is a little word hina, and hina means in order that. You know, A comes before B. I don't know about your, you know, one comes before two. Every time I look at my Bible, it says verse one, verse two. It's funny how that works. And one has got to come before two can come. And he says, before you can be a new lump, you have got to clean out the old leaven. Now he's talking to the whole body of believers, but also to individuals. I've got to deal with sin in my life before I can be a new lump, before I can, there's a newness that can come into my life. Now the word new is important. The word new is neos. Neos does not mean qualitatively new. That's what happens when you become a Christian. You become qualitatively new. They're already netted together into the dough. That was back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. They're already attached to Christ. They're already where they need to be there. But the word new neos means in a sense of timing. In other words, in a sense of time. It's, you, you're not this way, but immediately and quickly you can become this way if you will first of all deal with the old leaven in your life. Isn't it incredible? I can have a brand new, I can have a facelift. <laughs> I need one. I, I, I could look differently to others if I would deal with sin in my life. Same way with you, same way with all of us. If we deal with sin, it causes us not to be qualitatively new. We're already in Christ. But neos, it means in the sense of time. It means brand new. Yesterday I was this way, but today I'm this way. And everybody sees me to be different, you see. That's what he's saying. To be a new lump, to be a new body of believers. Listen, if Corinth had have understood this, they'd already dealt with the man. They didn't understand it. And they had a terrible testimony in Corinth. But he says, if you'll, if you'll get out this sin, if you'll, if you'll rid yourself of this, you can be, in fact, a new lump. A fresh beginning. You know, I can't think of any better timing to start talking about this in the 40 days of seeking the Lord in prayer. I want to tell you something before you can get anywhere closer to him, you're going to have to deal with known sin. And the Holy Spirit of God lives in us to tell us where it is. And when we're willing to deal with it, it changes us not on the outside first, but it changes us where our hearts are renewed. And then it begins to show up on the outside. And that's the new face that we have to others in the sense of time. You can say, hey, Brother Wayne needs revival. I hope you'll say that every day of your life and pray for me that way. I mean, as if you don't. And then maybe tomorrow you can see a difference in my life. And if you do, then something's happened on the inside. Somebody's dealt with sin. Somebody's dealt with flesh. That's what he's talking about. And every one of us has that same obstacle in front of us. And it's the flesh. And I want to please keep hearing me. In, as we go through these messages, if you have a person in mind, already you're not right with God. Because the Apostle Paul is trying to get them individually to understand the seriousness of sin in their own life. Quit pointing your finger at somebody else. Where are you in your walk with God? And if you want to have a fresh start, a new beginning in that sense of the word, to have a different look about you, then you deal with the sin that's in your own life. I was just over in North Carolina. Doesn't matter where. You can't get there from here anyway. First night, Monday night, I preached and a lady came forward and I saw her get off with the pastor and they stayed there and just stayed there and stayed there and stayed there. Matter of fact, everybody left. They stayed there and stayed there and she was just weeping and broken. And I couldn't wait to hear what in the world went on. And afterwards, he came out in the parking lot. He said, man, I want to tell you, I just witnessed a miracle. I said, you did? What happened? He said, the meanest woman you've ever met in your life has been in this church for eight years. She has given me literal hell by the way she's gossiped and criticized and the bitterness in her life. And he said, I've done everything I know to do. I've confronted her. I prayed for her, but she would not repent. But tonight, God met her 
And tonight she met with him and she confessed it and went straight to that preacher and asked him to forgive her. And the words she said to him were, she says, I know how disgraceful my attitude has been towards you since the time you came here to be pastor. I want to tell you something. Tuesday night, we saw a new lady there. Not new qualitatively. She's in Christ. She's already a new creature in Christ. Yes, in the sense of time. From Monday night to Tuesday night, there was a brand new person. And folks, I want to tell you something. That's what we're talking about. Get the leaven out. Get it out. If you don't, it's going to sneak up on your blind side and like cancer. It is spreading and you don't even know it. You don't even know it because of the deception sin always brings. So Paul says, hey, clean it out. Clean out the leaven of sin. But the third thing I want you to see in verse 8 is so precious to me. He says, he encourages them to prevail over sin. In other words, now that you get the leaven out, let's go back and read verse 7. Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, just as, as you are in fact unleavened. But when he says you are in fact unleavened, you have to read the next phrase to understand that. He says, for Christ our Passover has also been sacrificed. In the sense of that, we've been cleansed from the penalty of sin, cleansed from the power of sin, and one day we'll be delivered from the presence of sin. That doesn't mean that leaven can't get back in, but it means that Christ has died for us, and in Him there's no sense to live with leaven in your life. You've been set free from it, and in Him you're unleavened. That's your position in Him. But the problem is we're still down here. We hadn't got there yet. We haven't realized that all the way through. And so we can still deal with the flesh, allow the flesh to rule. That's when sin comes right back in. The leaven comes right back in. We're to purge it out of our lives as well as out of the life of the church. But the third thing, the encouragement to prevail over their sin, verse 8. He says, let us therefore celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, he says, let us celebrate the feast. What feast is he talking about? He just told us. But remember, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread are always seen as one feast. You don't have one without the other. Until the leaven is purged, you can't celebrate what Christ has done in, 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 in the Passover of, of shedding his blood for you and I. It's in the present active subjunctive. Now, what in the world does that mean? Israel was told to celebrate this feast once a year. Make sure the leaven has gotten out in remembrance of what God had done for them. But he says, no, no, we're not like Israel. We're in the new covenant. We celebrate it every day of our life. We live purging ourselves from the leaven of sin. Active voice means no preacher should have to stand up with a club and make you do it. The subjunctive means some of you will and some of you won't. It's iffy. But that's what he says. And he didn't really command them. He just simply says, I'm coming alongside you trying to tell you. Celebrate this feast constantly. Be always celebrating this feast. Get the leaven out of your life. You know, Miss Bertha Smith, how many remember who Miss Bertha Smith was? Do y'all know? Many of you? Some of you do. Died at 100 years old. One of the things she always said was, Are you, every time she'd see you, and she'd just intimidate, I mean, she would intimidate you. She didn't mean to, but she just did. She just walked so with God, just intimidated everybody. You'd be praying. She said, stop that. You call that prayer? <laughs> everybody kept her mouth shut. She'd walk up to you 
And the first thing she would say, she was in the Shantung Revival in China. She'd walk up to you and she'd say, are your sins confessed up to date? Are your sins confessed up to date? You know, you don't know this, but God's done a great work in my life. Before I came here, I was into a doctrine that said, we don't have a sin nature. The problem was I didn't understand that sin nature is a new international version term. If I'd have stuck with scripture, I'd have been all right. Body, soul, spirit, flesh, spirit, wars against one another. I didn't do that. But I tried to paint a picture that we don't go around confessing sin. We confess our righteousness. You confess who you are. Have any of you heard that doctrine? <laughs> we hadn't washed a boob tube for a while, have you? You confess who you are. Never in scripture do you find those words, confess who you are. It says pursue these things, not confess them. Pursue righteousness, pursue holiness, pursue these things. And you know what happened to me? In my spiritual pride and ignorance, I began to get into a dimension to where sin crept back into my life and I didn't even recognize it. And all of a sudden, sinning then was not my fault. It was a, it was a result of the devil. I'll blame the devil. It's the demon of gluttony. It's not my rotten flesh. It's the demon of whatever. <laughs> Man, I was upside down. And y'all call me the pastor of this church. Man, I'm telling you. But I didn't tell you all those things. Thank God. Thank God he got a hold of me and turned me around. And helped me realize I'm going to be confessing sin till the day Jesus comes back. Because we're never going to live a day. I made a statement one day to a fellow. I said, I believe I can live a whole day without sinning. And that's what this doctrine does, folks. And everybody says, oh, this is freedom. This is freedom. It's not freedom. It's bondage. And you put yourself right back up under it. He says, always be celebrating the feast. You can't celebrate the Passover of what Christ has done until you've gotten rid of the leaven in your life. And you're always going to be dealing with leaven. The victory of yesterday is not going to help me a bit today. I've got to deal with sin today. I dealt with sin yesterday. And folks, I tell you, the more pride that sneaks into your life, the more you have a lack of perceiving the actual sin that's really there. That's what happened. That's what happened to Corinth. He says, man, come down off your pedestal there and get down here where you belong and celebrate the feast all the time. It's amazing to me how many times I've brought up the traffic on I-75 and I've had people all over town tell me I, I agree, but I wonder if they handle it like I do. But I can study. I'm serious, folks. I can study. I can be so in the spirit and on my way to church and get behind somebody on that interstate. And if you think, if you think you can reach this point to where you will not sin, you're kidding yourself. You're just as bad as Corinth. You're, you're, you're blind as a bat to what's going on in your life. Cancer is eating you up. You don't know it. Before I get to the top of that hill, I'm already ready to run somebody slap off the road. And I don't, I hadn't cussed, but I've written it down and signed it a few times before I got over top of the hill. And by the time I get to the bottom of the hill, I'm getting off and I'm thinking, dear Lord, I'm going to preach. It's like God says, son, yes. And you deal with your attitude before you get to that church. Because when you stand up, you stand up like everybody else who's there. You're one who celebrates the feast every day, just like they do. I want to tell you something, folks. Pride 
Deception comes when you don't deal with the leaven that's in your life. Next time you open your mouth with a negative word, you ought to sense the Spirit of God putting his finger right between your two eyes and saying, buddy, you better be careful. Deal with this. That's sin. No, 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 no. We tolerate it in the church today as if we're already always unleavened, where leaven can't get back into our life. And that's the problem of Corinth. Corinth proves that leaven can get back in your life. These are believers. And see, folks, the reason I brought that particular thing out is because most of the moral sins, most of us know what they are. But it's those other things, the sins of the tongue, the sins of the mind, that we tend to push under the rug and not put under the blood. So he said, let's always be celebrating the feast every day, moment by moment. Don't ever be at a place to where you're not dealing with leaven, getting it out of your life through confession and repentance. The Jews kept it once, we keep it every day. Paul's so clear to me. He says, let us therefore celebrate the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Old leaven, in this situation, as he points to individuals, would be anything in the past that's held you bondage. Old leaven, that which is before you that has held you into some kind of bondage. And he points them back, I think, even to their captivity in Egypt, if he was talking to, to Israel. To the Corinthians, this would remind them of what they used to be that now they were free from. Look over 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9, just to show you where they came from. These were the sins that held them in captivity. This was their Egypt before Christ had freed them. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. Now watch this. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And look what he says. And such were what? Some of you. But you've been washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord. And to think that sin cannot crop back up on you is to ignore the teachings of Scripture. Yes, it can come back. But keep on celebrating the feast. Keep it out of your life. Make a choice to obey and surrender. And if it does sneak back into your life, immediately remove it under the blood of Jesus. We're not to allow sin, which is in the past, that's conquered us, to continue to stay and to come back and rear its ugly head. Let us therefore celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. Now, there's two words that go together like a horse and carriage. Malice is the fabric of the flesh. Hold your finger there and turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. I want to show you something here. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. This is the fabric of the flesh. If you ever wanted to know what the flesh was made out of, here it is right here, malice. The word even comes from that word of that, uh, that inherent evil. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. Wished I had a little more time to develop this because, man, this thing will nail you. It meant me. He says, therefore, verse 1, chapter 2, putting aside all what? Malice. Now look, you say, well, Wayne, what is this malice? Remember, it's associated with leaven. We just read that. But what is it? How do you know it's there? Look at the next word. Guile. You know what guile is? Guile in, 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 in uh, the Greece today means fish bait. Now, I know you don't translate the scriptures from modern Greek, but at the same time, it's just interesting to see the word in it, guile. It's always something you speak because it says in chapter 2 in 1 Peter that there were no guile found in his mouth, speaking of Christ. 
But it's a deception. It's a deceiving lifestyle. You know, that bait that you put out for a fish, the fish is swimming down the river, and all of a sudden he sees this morsel of free food hanging there in the middle of the stream. And he says, oh, this is my day. Swims up and grabs it and takes off down the river. He doesn't see the transparent line that's hooked onto the bait. And about that time, that hook hits him because inside of what looks so good, there's a what? There's a hook. You treat people that way? Is that the way you live? I'll do for you if you'll do for me. I'll be nice to you because I want something back out of you. That's malice. That's flesh. He goes on. He says, and all hypocrisy, the word means to, to judge under. The word comes off the secular stage in Greece and it's, it's baptized and put in the Christian vocabulary. The actor would use this word. And it had to do with a person. They didn't put on makeup like we do today on makeup. And they would wear a mask. And the mask would have a smile or a frown. You never saw the person. There was a mask in front of him. You ever come to church that way? You have your mask on, don't want anybody to know what you're really like? That's flesh. That's malice. That's the garment he's talking about over in 1 Corinthians. Envy. You know what envy is? The funny feeling you get in the pit of your stomach when somebody, if something good happens to somebody you know real well. Because Romans 12 says not only do we sorrow with those who sorrow, it says we what? We rejoice with those who rejoice. You don't tell by your sorrowing. You tell by your rejoicing. If you're envious, you can't. And then it says, and all slander. The word slander comes from two words. The two words means to speak against. <laughs> lady came up to me one day. She said, how do you know you're speaking against somebody? And I didn't know what to say. I said, well, I don't go. I guess you're just not speaking for them. <laughs> she said, oh, that's good. Wrote that down. But they, I didn't realize how profound I could be. <laughs> that's flesh. Period. That's flesh. And he says here, he says, nor with the leaven of malice. And then he uses the word wickedness. And the word wickedness is the intentional evil that flesh always has as its motive. You, you want to hurt somebody with it. You're taking advantage of everybody around. Do you realize that if we leave the leaven in our life, there's no such thing as a healthy relationship that we have? Not one single healthy relationship with your wife, with your children, with anybody else. Because flesh is not capable of healthy relationship. Only the Spirit. And then he says, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What a picture. The unleavened bread means without any sin in it, without any flesh there, of sincerity and truth. The word sincerity means that which is a result of that which is pure, absolutely sincere, without any leaven. It's kind of like that bowl. They used to have pottery they'd make. It'd have a crack in it. They'd put wax in it. And it set it up, you'd paint it, but people would take it home and think they got a good deal. And they'd set the bowl up in the wind and the sun would come out and the, the wax would melt. And they said, I got gypped. And so they started holding the bowl up to the sun to see if you could see through it or not to find out whether or not it was sincere. And the word truth means genuine and real. That's what he says. That's the kind of lifestyle we're supposed to have. That's what's to replace the leaven that we've gotten out is sincerity and realness and being genuine. Well, my time's gone. Had a long service tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. But you know, folks, listen to me. Let's continually celebrate the feast. Continually celebrate the feast. What is the sin? Let me ask you a question. What is the sin that does so easily beset you? Oh, Brother Wayne, sin doesn't bother me. I used to, be, I used to deal with immorality, but I've got the victory. So now you're dealing with pride. Is that right? It's incredible how we are, folks. And how we always want to put somebody else up under the law that we have come up and justify ourselves with. I want to tell you, till the day Jesus comes, 
Woe is me when we're in the presence of God. Woe is me. And you always know when God's speaking to you, dealing with leaven, when your flesh is offended. Never when it's pampered or made to feel better. That's when God's speaking. That, that little funny thing. I've got to confess something to you tonight. <laughs> Larry, I've got to ask you to forgive me. We started the service off tonight and I was thinking, I've got, I got to preach 44 minutes. And I wrestled with it. I really did. I said, golly, this is going long. I got in the pulpit tonight at eight minutes till, till uh, eight. And I'm thinking, how am I going to do? Well, you see, <laughs> I, I, Larry, will you forgive me? I did. I really did. I got, I got a little bit anxious over there because I know we have other things going on. And I had to deal with it in my heart. I didn't get to get to Larry before I preached. That's how quick sin can come in your life. That's how quick sin can get in your life. Let us always be celebrating the feast. Always. And then God can be God in our life. It'll get you on the rebellious side, but that's not what I'm worried about as much as it getting me on the religious side. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.